This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Good afternoon, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast. Today's episode, as well as every episode, is sponsored by Top Step Trader, the company for traders, by traders, within traders, and about traders. This is the show where we talk about markets, futures, forex, and trading psychology with some of the best in the industry. And of course, today is no exception. Our guest today is a master quant. Yes, that was literally his job title for more than a decade. He's also the CEO and co-founder of Halo Investing, which is a company that has recently been growing by leaps and bounds. I know this because they have an entire floor in the same office building as Top Step. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest today is none other than Bijou. Kulathakal. And he's come all the way down from floor five to floor two for what's sure to be a great interview with our very own Jeff Carter. I, on the other hand, am here by myself doing this introduction. I also made the mistake of drinking a 12-ounce Red Bull this afternoon, and now it feels like my heart is going to explode. If there are any traders out there who have a better way to get through the afternoon, please let me know via email or in the blog comments. And don't tell me exercise. I know exercise is good. I know more sleep is good. I know vegetables are good, but those things are hard. I want something easy that I can pick up from a 7-Eleven. Anyway, Mark Meadows is at a conference, so I'll have to wait till next week to do a new market reaction. In the meantime, we continue to be in what John Hoagland sagely called the most hated equity rally of all time. People just keep on hating, but those stocks, they just keep going higher. Today was a perfect example. It's Tuesday afternoon as I record this. The Atlanta GDP Now forecast last week estimated a Q4 GDP coming in at a whopping 0.3%. That's 0.3, not 3. Home Depot plunged today after cutting their forward guidance. You know, that's where people furnish houses that they buy. Seems sort of important to the economy. And uh, the Nasdaq responded by hitting a brand new high. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 fared much worse and plunged nearly an entire point. Don't fight the Fed, people. In fact, instead of fighting the Fed, I strongly recommend that you absorb the wisdom of Jeff Carter and Mr. Biju Kulathakal in this interview. I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back at the end with some exciting housekeeping. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Limit Up podcast on Top Step Trader. My name is Jeff Carter. You can find me online at pointsandfigures.com. A little uh, selfish thing, I have a GoFundMe right now. Um, if you go to GoFundMe.com, and look for name a hotel room so we never forget. I'm trying to raise $50,000 to name a hotel room after the unknown soldier at the National World War II Museum in New Orleans, where I was a board member. We welcome to the podcast today, Bijou Kulathakal, CEO and co-founder of Halo Investing. Halo Investing is a fintech firm based here in Chicago. Welcome to the program, Bijou. Thanks so much, Jeff. Great to be here. Yeah, so... We're going to talk about a lot of stuff here so that the traders out there understand kind of where Bijou came from and how he got the idea. So what did you do before you started this? Because you've had a varied background. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've, I've basically been um, uh, an entrepreneur of some sort uh, in a few different industries, but uh, I've got a lot of experience in the derivatives industry, basically with uh, in the listed options industry. Uh, but also took a, a break at one point to uh, co-found uh, a firm called Redbox, which right. is in the movie rental business, right. completely different. Right. But, right. but you know, I think all these experiences, they've, they, uh, I think I, I, I'm firmly of the belief that basically having a wide variety of experiences actually always helps, gives you a different perspective mm -hmm. on business and on life, uh, which is which is super helpful. So, so you were an options trader. So we've got people out there who are traders. What? What sort of stuff did you learn as an options trader? You were on the trading floor, I assume? I was not on the trading floor. You were never I, I on was, the floor. I, I was a quant. I was really more of a quant really? than, than a trader. Oh, great. Which is sort of all traders now are really quant slash yeah, traders, they are. right? They are. So, they are yeah. But I started off really as a quant. Awesome. That That's actually even better because so many times when people my age, you know, talk about traders, it's guys like me that were on the floor, da-da-da-da-da, and, and it's harder to translate the skills to the real world. And so today, because like on Top Step, all these guys are, are 
are trading on a screen, you were trading on a screen. What skills did you learn from that that you applied then to entrepreneurship so you could start and build companies? I think skill number one, being in the option space, space is uh, trading options, you realize basically the embedded optionality in everything. So, and what I mean by that is, so when you trade, you start, you actually measure, you can quantify, you know, the optionality in a trade, in an instrument, in an asset class, and and you look at that as you're as you're trading. When you and then you start realizing that everything in life and every business out there has some embedded optionality. Every contract you're signing yeah. has some embedded optionality. The mortgage you take, you know, the uh, the lease you you sign for, they all have some embedded optionality. And so I think uh, trading options or uh, being in the options world basically gave me made me realize how everything in life has some embedded optionality and understanding that is almost like understanding the the odds in a in a poker game and and it just gave you the appreciation for you know when to maybe when to uh, or how to value something right and that's uh that was actually a great that was one of the best lessons i've learned uh, as a trader interesting so when you look at a starting a business, how do you calculate sort of the underlying, right? That's what we're talking about with options. So you've got all the different Greeks. You get the volatility, you get the vega, you get, you know, all the stuff. What's the tipping point for you when you say, you know what, I'm just going to go out and do this? So the way I look at business is from an option standpoint, right? right? You're building an inherent amount of gamma, right? Okay. That you're paying for with some theta, okay? And the key with every and this is this literally applies to every startup because what's interesting and what's uh, sometimes a, um, a common mis- misperception mm-hmm. about doing startups mm-hmm. or about doing your own business right. is that you're going to get linear growth of some sort and that you can time success. Right. And the truth is, you really can't time success. That's right. Just like traders, most traders don't actually necessarily call market highs and lows. They just sort of are prepared for it. They don't. They don't actually call it, but right. they're prepared for it. Right. You know. So they basically build a position with you know the the right sort of gamma position mm-hmm. that they can as as long as they can manage the theta, they have to pay for holding that position. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, the market moves in a certain way, right. which helps them tremendously profit. And essentially, that's how startup companies are. Right. right? You're basically. You you're building on an inherent thesis, and you have to manage like your your costs and you know yep. your costs with the capital you raise and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And you can't exactly predict, especially when you're building something new, where you know you don't know exactly when the market's going to turn, but mm-hmm. it, you just kind of you know inherently that hey, this is where the market is going to be because it makes sense for the market to right. be here. But as the timing of things in businesses. It's it's almost impossible to predict. Yeah, uh, timing in in markets and timing in businesses is impossible to predict. Right. But the the key is to basically keep your business uh, and keep your startup yeah. ready to catch the wave when it when it comes when it comes. And that's what what I've learned from trading. That's very applicable to startups. That's interesting. That's I mean I've never heard anybody put it that way. That's super interesting. And I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that. I think innovation, true innovation as you know, is not linear. It jumps lines. And when you jump lines, you're not in favor with everybody. A lot of people don't get it. I'm sure when you started Halo, people shook their heads. What caused you to come around this idea of Halo? Why don't you, First of all, why don't we explain what it is? Because it is a difficult concept. Then we'll talk about how you got the idea for it. Absolutely. So Halo is a platform uh, for structured notes. And structured notes are basically these uh, uh, these bonds or these notes with uh, which people really buy because they want they want exposure to an underlying. So right. the underlying can be an equity, could be interest rate driven, could be uh, commodity driven, foreign exchange driven. Mm-hmm. You know, could be any of those things. But people want exposure to that underlying. Right. Uh, and uh, we sell these structured notes basically on our platform, where we, we really make them available on our platform. Right. And we connect to large investment banks around the world, probably like 25 or 27 of these banks right. around the world. Our business is extremely international. It's We are uh, we are predominantly an international business. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and we provide really the best in breed platform mm-hmm. for the our customers. And our customers are usually people who manage money, right? So they are you know investment advisors, they are brokers who manage money on behalf of retail customers, right? And they buy these products on our platform from the investment banks, and we our platform basically makes it easy to uh, uh, look at ideas, you know, curate these ideas, content. Uh, analytics for the product uh, to trade it. So that's really what we do uh, as a business. So structured notes, though, have the word note in them. So if you think about notes, there's an interest rate, there's a term, there's an expiration. If I had a view on, let's say, the FANG stocks, let's just say I thought they were overvalued and I wanted to put a position on I could go to the options market and buy puts. I could sell calls. I could do some. If I thought they were just going to sit, I could do strangle, straddles, whatever. How would I do it on your platform? So it's great. So you have you have a, a deep options background. So you can you can kind of construct exactly the kind of trade you want to do in the options man, uh, market. You can also you have the time and the expertise, and I, I I'm not I'm assuming you have the time when yeah. you trade this actively, right. but but you, but you definitely have the expertise to manage an options position like right. that. Right. Most people in the world, especially most retail investors, right, they don't have the time, they don't have the expertise, right. and they don't have necessarily the interest mm-hmm. in in getting to that level of detail and mm-hmm. managing something like this. So they may have a market view. But they want to put on a position which will help them profit from a market view. So they may put on, they'll put on basically a position with uh, for Fang mm-hmm. in a structured note, mm-hmm. okay, which will basically give them upside if the if, if Fang goes down in value. If, it, if you think it's overvalued, which you know, yeah. give give you exposure. If it goes down in value and give you some protection on the upside, where to go up against you. Mm-hmm. But it's a completely packaged position available as a note mm-hmm. that they can buy. On our platform, right? Okay, uh, through basically the help of the advisor, right? And that's sort of how a structured note is set up, as opposed to with with options, you have to go put on that trade piece by piece, then you got to manage it as it goes from day to day, and then you got to take it off. So that's a lot more work for right. an average investor. More expense, the average investor. More expense too when you're talking about commissions, in and outs, managing the position. Um, and then bile that builds up in your stomach as you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's sort of like you know. Sometimes, sometimes in the note market, we hear like an experienced options trader tell us, "Why would I put that on? Right. Uh, why would I buy the note instead of just putting the options trader on ourselves?" Right. Uh, so I asked them, "Well, why do you go to a restaurant and and order uh, an expensive dish there when you could sort of cook it yourself. Yeah. The truth is you don't want to cook it yourself. Right. You like the dish, but you don't want to cook it yourself. Right. And that's really how structured notes are. You know, we kind of prepare the dish uh, and we, we help them prepare the dish, but it's really issued by one of our large global investment banks. Right. Which give you that complete package. And they've got somebody on a trading desk who hedges that out and basically does all the option trading for you right. because that's their job. Right, right. And you might be a doctor or a lawyer or a you know, maybe a school teacher, right? Yeah. That's not your you have other things, you have better mm-hmm. things to do with your life uh, than to be trading this position every day. Yep. Now the other thing about structured notes that's always been my experience is sort of traditionally there's some mad scientist in the bowels of an investment bank that decides they're gonna create this product. They create it. It goes out to the wealth manager sector of the bank, J.P. Morgan or whatever, and they go out to these family offices and high net worth individuals and pools of capital, and they say, hey, we got this new product. We want to sell it, and they earn commission on it. It comes in. They take the opposite side. They hedge all around it. They make all kinds of money off it. But it would take a million dollars to get in that trade or $3 million or $5 million or some big number. Like, for instance... In the big short, like, you know, we talk about, yeah, sure, I saw the top in the market, but there's only a few people that could get into that trade opposite Goldman because they did their due diligence and said, you got to put up this much money and da 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 da. How is that different in Halo? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. So, Structured Notes is a $3 trillion market globally. Right, right. $3 trillion, right. but no one knows about this market. It's a quiet because market. Because it's a very quiet market. Yeah. It's a large market. It's been primarily serving the very rich. You know the the people with really big balance sheets and right. pocketbooks. Okay, right. 
And we want to change that because what we've noticed was there was a there was basically a, a, an ultra high net worth customer who really used structured notes a lot because mm-hmm. they want to protect their investment. They they want to protect their net worth. They want mm-hmm. to uh, they want basically protections against movements in the market and, right. and things like that. But in reality, who really needs protection like that is mm-hmm. the average investor. That's right. right? The average investor right. needs that way more than someone who's worth $100 million. Right. And right. we want to bring that to the average investor. So the the view you – basically the, the scenario you painted of how that traditionally happened as, uh, at an investment bank is absolutely correct. Yeah. But what we're, we're completely changing that. So the ways we're changing that is, one, you know, with technology, we make the data more transparent. We're mm-hmm. basically showing you – Hey, these are the analytics. These are the probabilities around buying the note at this price. This is, you know, these are the fees in in basically buying the note at this price. Mm-hmm. So it give it makes all those things transparent right. to you. Right. Helps you analyze what the product is. Then trade it. But then even after you trade it, helps you manage the trade until you sell it or you you know it expires. Mm-hmm. So helps with all that complete decision making process. The other thing is because of some technology we've helped some of the issuers with and some technology that some of the issuers have developed on their own, we brought these minimum sizes down from a million dollars to $250,000 sometimes to do a trade, but anybody can kind of get into that trade for $1,000. 1000 bucks. 1000 bucks. So it makes a big difference. It <laughs> completely changes yeah. who, you know. Who can get into this sort of trade? Right. And, you know, and, and at the end of the day, we don't see our business being just a stru- – I don't even – I don't even like calling it the structured note business. I call it yeah. really retirement investment solutions. Right. Because what we are really selling is we're we're selling protective investing and defined outcome investing to the retail. And we're, we're making this available – that's our goal. We want to make this available to everybody. There are many steps we have to take to completely get there. But we've moved it from where this market was ten years ago yeah. to where it is now. Yeah, interesting. So I put up a thousand. What can I expect to get back? So with a thousand, you buy a structured note with uh, a, a perfor- with a performance or or an outcome that's mm-hmm. basically defined in the, in the contract. Mm-hmm. And then what you get back really depends on how the market performs. Well, so you, you're basically taking a stand that you expect the market to go up or down or, right. you know, go, go in a certain way. And you can basically expect to get back that return, uh, you know, whatever that return is, as long as the market works out in your favor. And yeah. if it doesn't, you know, the, the products usually have some sort of protection on the downside, you know, and as long as it stays within those, those protective barriers, right. you know, it protects your principal investment. And then, you know, if it goes below that, obviously you, you take some of the risk there. Mm-hmm. And then you're also taking the credit risk of whoever's on the opposite o- side, on the opposite side, yeah. who is basically offering you that, that instrument, right. right? But it's a credit risk usually of a double A bank that right. we offer on our platform. Right. So you're taking the credit risk of a, of a JP Morgan or a Morgan Stanley or a BNP Paribas. Right. Some of the largest banks in the world. Right, right. So if they're going down. It's 2008, and a lot of people are going down. I mean, exactly. I mean, I mean we only going lost down. what? What we lose two that year? Bear Stearns and Lehman. Exactly. And they were some of the most high, high, highly leveraged banks out there. And now with stress tests, banks are obviously a lot theoretically safer. Not sure. I, you know, who knows, right? Yeah, but, yeah. We never know, but you, I, I think the thing, the thing in our, the thing in the financial system is. History teaches us some lessons, and right. we've basically gone through that that period in in '08. And we, you know, I think the I think the banking system is way safer right. today right. Uh, structurally than it was uh, back in '08. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we also have a lot of you know debt has increased considerably in the world. Sure, but structurally, you know, with stress stress, we've uh, the the regulators have have basically put in. Some safeguards where mm-hmm. the bank system is is much better off today than it was pre oh eight right and and so really, with the structured note what the thing that would kill you in this trade is a three standard deviation event or a four standard deviation event, so the probability of those occurring is less than five percent in theory right yeah, I but mean, if you i mean but but you're taking the you're taking the same downside so if you basically put a uh, uh you put a bet on fang right right. 
if you bought fang, if you bought a fang basket or a fang right. note, right, a fang in some other form besides a structured ETF, note, let's you're say. still taking yeah. that same risk. That's right. So if fang were to go down three standard deviations, you'd still take that risk right. of fang going down three standard deviations. Here, you can basically put it on with some protection. Right. And that's essentially what it is. That's, we the, also note, that's fundament- the note part. That's the note part, yeah. right? <laughs> and we fundamentally think like the truth is for retail investors, yeah. right? They shouldn't, you know, uh, this is this is my view and yeah. this is what us as a team believe is that retail investors, you know, if they ultimately, even when they buy the S&P or if they buy FANG or whatever else that they buy, right, right if they should, uh, they should move from the world of just linear or Delta One investments where they're just sort of taking the upside in FANG but also the straight downside in FANG, yeah. right? They should move to something where there's protection on the downside. Right. Because fundamentally in everything else in your life, your your car has downside protection. Sure. Your house has downside protection. Yep. Everything else has downside protection mm-hmm. because you need that for peace of mind. Right. Right. If you were exposed on everything else, you've, your health has downside protection. Sure. If you if you were if you go to a hospital right now, you got protection on the downside right. for what that hospital bill can cost you. Right. And but when you look at basically your stock portfolio which is, you know, the bulk of people's net worth. Mm-hmm. They don't, they they put on these trades without downside protection. Yeah. We think that's fundamentally wrong. Interesting. And this is not portfolio insurance like 1987. So for people that are too young to remember, in 1987, in 82, single st- our stock futures came out, the S&P 500 at the Merck. And the idea was you could insure your portfolio similar to the way grain farmers did with wheat by selling S&Ps against your portfolio. Well, it didn't work out that way um, because the math was fundamentally flawed. And um, you had a stock market crash that proved it. I mean, that's a a once-in-a-lifetime event that hasn't happened since in the same way. And so this is different than that. This is more of a, a hedge. Yeah, it's more of a hedge. And what is a hedge? A hedge is ultimately risk transference, right? Right. So essentially, beyond just basic portfolio insurance, I mean, you are, in a way, you are buying some insurance on your portfolio. Right. However, you're doing it through risk transference, right? You're transferring risk from yourself to a bank. Mm -hmm. And the bank is transferring risk from that bank to other participants in the market. Right. Fundamentally, that's, that's a healthier concept because- if you know you have 20 or 30% protection uh, on your portfolio mm-hmm. in a market like today, okay, it helps you sleep at night. Right. You know, it helps you sleep at night right. when the market goes. Because otherwise, the average retail investor, when when they are joyful every time Apple ticks up, yeah. but they're also sad every time Apple ticks down. Right. And you know you're 10 times as sad when Apple ticks down <laughs> as opposed to when Apple ticks up, right? That happens to everybody. That's the psychology of right, investing, right? Right, right, That's behavioral economics. Uh, that, that is behavioral economics. <laughs> that is the problem, right? Basically, you need to, we think, the, the average investor, they want the function of the markets because they want growth in sure. their portfolio. They need they need their assets to accumulate and they they need their assets to grow. But they also fundamentally don't like the the volatility that comes mm-hmm. into all these movements in the market, and they want some protection against all those movements. Mm-hmm. And we we think fundamentally it's a better way for investors to to invest. So what I'm also saying with that is we're going to move from more of this. Delta one investing or linear investing yeah. to something where there's always protection or defined outcome. Interesting. And so, you know, I, I do a futures trade, let's say, or an options trade. I buy it. It's not working out. I cover. I get out. Is there a way to do that with this? So I decide to buy some sort of structured note because I have a view on some product in the market. I figure it out, done, put it in. It doesn't happen. Do I just let it expire? Or is there some sort of liquidity provider on the other side where I can say, you know what, uncle, I'm going to take a limited loss rather than the entire loss? Absolutely. So uh, there are so there are some liquidity providers. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, the bank itself is a liquidity. The bank that issued the note yeah. is a liquidity provider. Most of those banks are liquidity providers on, on their on yeah. their notes. Uh, but Halo is also basically improving the market where we're trying to bring in more liquidity providers who are like either prop trading firms yeah. or other players 
or hedge funds or other players who want to take a position in and basically uh, buy that note or give you an active market for that note yeah. before the note expires. That's something we're doing. So fundamentally, you can get out from the bank itself, but we also want to make that market more competitive. Fundamentally, we want to make structured notes a better instrument. So to make it better, we have to make the product more transparent, yep. reduce fees, increase liquidity, do these things, and it's going to be a better market for, right. for everybody. Yeah, so if it's competitive with liquidity providers and they're competing with the banks, then it becomes really interesting because everybody's got their book, right? So one of the things about big, big traders, instead of just like being an in and out trader, is you keep a book. And so you, ha you have inventory and you can be powerful with that inventory and, and, and it cuts cuts both ways. I mean, you got to be able to manage that inventory um, and that can draw cash out of your account. But these guys can take an option that looks like or some sort of note that looks like crap to the average person and make money off it because they've got inventory that they can move around inside their own portfolios and then spit it out on the other side in some other place to make money. Absolutely. And this is what we see, right, is that it's better off for a, a, a larger player, which is someone who's professional and has a bigger balance sheet right. in, the, in that market, so right. which is a either a hedge fund or a prop trading firm or a or a or even another large investment bank, right? right? To basically take that take that risk, put it into their risk book, right? And at scale, right? And at, with a lot of transactions, and at scale, they right. can do that. They can sort of weather that that hit, yep. and better off than that retail investor themselves, right? So, and as a retail guy, though, it's good for me because I just throw up a little money. And I, I throw risk at them and then let them manage it. Absolutely. So, so it's a real market. Right? It, it is mean, a real it, market. Yeah, yeah. And with more players in the market and with better technology, uh, it'll be a more competitive market. Right, right. So how did you get the idea in the first place? Your, your co-founder is Jason, and he was not a traditional entrepreneur. I mean, he comes from an entrepreneurial family, but he himself wasn't. I mean, how would you guys meet and how did you get the idea? So we met. Uh, so uh, so Jason, Jason and I have been partners for I think about four years now. We met about five years ago. We met at a nonprofit event. Uh huh. So and you know it was just sort of coincidence. I mean a great coincidence. We just both happened to be at the same event, and you know we met for you know we 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 had a good conversation and we really hit it off. So we said let's meet up for lunch, discuss some ideas, and then like two or three lunches later. Uh, we came with the idea for Halo, mm -hmm. and we basically started meeting, you know, almost like every week, right? And uh, doodling on this idea, yeah, uh, for almost for like six or nine months. So, what he was a wealth manager at UBS, is that correct? He was a wealth manager at Credit Suisse. Credit so Suisse, he was, yeah. So after school, he only had worked at Credit Suisse. Yeah, he was. That was his. He was Credit Suisse's entire career. Okay. Uh, so, and and he brought a great perspective to it. Uh, he's got, he's got, I mean, he had never done a startup before, a company mm -hmm. before, you know, he yeah. only worked for a large company, but he's, he's definitely got, uh, an entrepreneurial, um, sense in his, you know, basically in his blood. Yeah. I mean, his, his, his dad was an entrepreneur, but, yep. but even beyond that, he just has, you know, I think people are just sort of in some ways born with it. Right. right. And, you know, regardless of who your parents were or anything yeah. like that. And he's got that inherently in him. And he had basically used structured notes at the bank. Oh, he had used them. He had okay. used them at the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I came from the options background and said, right. hey, this is basically like the same thing, but this is done very inefficiently you and we can do this better. Were you retired kind of at Redbox? And so what were you doing when yeah, you no, I, decided I, to do this? I had finished Redbox. I was looking, you know, I was I was involved in some uh, uh, venture capital stuff. Yeah. But, but basically, you know, I wanted to uh, I wanted to do something else that would change the world in some right. way, right? Right. And and, and I I really loved options. I loved trading options, mm -hmm. and I wish that everybody could love yeah, options yeah, yeah. as much as I did. <laughs> but the truth is, you know, nobody n nobody else wants to love options. Yeah. That's, but they want they do they want to love the benefits of options. Right. They don't want to love. They don't want to go and learn all about options. That's, right. That's that's the truth. Right. Right. So. So uh, and, and and I felt uh, that offering structured notes basically gives people the benefits of of options and optionality without having to get into all the traders right. details without getting into 
the math. technicalities of, of Greeks and the math yep. of, of yep. all this, right? Yep. They just really want to know, hey, here I have a $100,000 portfolio. I want to make sure it's protected 20%. Right. That's really all I care about. Right. They don't care about a lot of other things. Right. So we felt like they basically this packaged product called a structured note could provide that uh, benefit without people having to be an expert options like right. you, Jeff. So right. It's, it's, or, or, or getting out of their position and going to cash or buying an annuity. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, right? I mean, y- you can offload risk by just selling, but then you don't get any upside. Yes. You know, um, you can buy an annuity, but that's probably not economically efficient. The insurance companies will hate me for saying that, but it's – it's probably not as economically efficient as trying to do something else. Um, you can sell futures against it. You can go do over-the-counter derivatives, which is very difficult to do. Um, so it's a very elegant solution. Yeah, you know uh, what we what we found is, as you said, right? The traditionally before a cons before something like a structured note, mm-hmm. you know, you were either in fixed income or you had you took the full risk of the stock right. market. You didn't have sort of something in between. And basically, a structured note basically gives you that structured return in between where you had the upside of the stock market mm-hmm. or the, the equity market, but you also had some protection on the downside. So right. you had to, like a hybrid solution, which which gave you a little bit of the best of both worlds. Interesting. But, but And what's interesting is this looks like a new product. It's a product a lot of people haven't heard of. But right. they really like annuities in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. There, there are some forms of annuities. They're just and the annuity market too has changed a lot. Where yeah. it's become more efficient and cleaner and mm-hmm. better, mm-hmm. and and some of these uh, some of these efficiencies we talked about in the structured note market, yeah, is there in the annuity market? Yeah. And fundamentally, I think they will also get to the point. You know, we in fact when we compare the structured note market to the annuity market, we just say like same product with different wrappers. Right, you have more alpha in your product than an annuity product. Annuity I products, mean, plain vanilla. Put up the money. This is the rate you're going to get back. We have more. We have more variety of payoffs. But yeah. but you know the the structures. Some of the structures that annuities offer, we can offer. So it's yeah. I, I think uh, fundamentally you can offer the same payoffs. It's just using an insurance wrapper versus a, a note wrapper. But uh-huh. but you know when you think about structured notes and you think about oh man, man this product sounds so good. Right. Why hasn't it been there before? And the truth is it it has been there before. It's been there through an annuity for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, annuities in some ways, you know, existed for thousands of sure. years in different different forms. Right. And they're just uh, what's made the annuity market better, what's made the structured note market better is technology because mm-hmm. with technology, you provide more data to mm-hmm. to the end consumer. And, and transparency, you can provide yeah. data, transparency, lower yeah. fees, yeah. right? Yeah. Everybody wants this benefit. They just don't want to pay all the extra fees that come with yep. it. And that's uh, that's and, really what it is. And the friction that comes with trying to get in and out of the market. I think one of the things that um, when, you know, if you think about technology, it always takes sort of the creators and disintermediates some form of distribution in between to the end users and makes all markets more efficient. So like, you know, Amazon's a classic case which is a retail market. But, you know, at CME, when we adopted technology, we got rid of several layers of distribution and disintermediated it and put the creators, the risk providers, closer to the people that needed to hedge. I mean, essentially. So that's that's a really interesting thing. What about private markets? So you guys are in public markets. They're liquid. You know, they're regulated, stuff like that. There's a lot of talk, and this is this is kind of not integral to your business right now. It's more just kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff, so we know that. So you look at like Carta, for example, is trying to create an exchange around trading private shares, and there's a lot of people that are doing that. Is the, is the tech ecosystem sort of booms? There's more and more interest to invest in sort of private companies. I think that I could be wrong about this. But 20 years ago, there were double the number of private companies than there were today. There's only 50% left in the market, and they're big. They're big. I mean, you look at Walgreens, Michael, private. And part of that's due to the cost of capital. Part of it's due to the fact that there's so much capital chasing these companies, and part of it's due to regulation. 
Do you ever see a world where you, Halo, can provide a market and structured notes for private companies? What would that look like? Actually, it's already happening. Yeah. It's not happening on the Halo platform today, yeah. but I was just at a structured note conference a few weeks ago right. where there was actually a private company. Uh, there was actually one of these uh, companies that provide, you know, these uh, access to private private equity. So yeah. like the Uber yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of uh, equity to in, in the form of a structured note. Interesting. Backed by a big bank. So basically a big bank um, would buy a bunch of these private private stocks, put it together in, in a note format, and then basically sell the note, which will give you access to, you know, like an Uber or something else before it, before it went public. Right. That's it. So that's interesting from an investor point of view. It's also interesting from an employee point of view. So if I was an employee of Uber and I felt like there was risk, I have a lot of risk because I've, I've received equity and I'm really banking on Uber having an IPO or I mean, a classic case could be WeWork, right? Um, which blew up. If if I was able, I don't know if legally you can buy a structured note on your own options or not, but if you could, you could hedge some of your risk. I mean, um, one of the things that they teach you in business school at Chicago is if you're working for a company and they give you a bunch of options, your human capital is the risk you're taking with that company. You should, you got to take the options, but as soon as you're able to monetize them, don't buy the company stock, go into something else to diversify your risk. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the private markets will grow yeah. even more, especially with, uh, with tech companies and innovation, because right. you realize as a tech company, right, you don't want to, you don't want to be so distracted, especially when you're in growth mode and when mm -hmm. you're in innovation mode, you don't want to be massively distracted with all the work, as you mentioned earlier, right. all the, the work, the regulation, right. the uh, just the, the the compliance and the operational mm -hmm. work that it takes to be a public company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are benefits to being a public company there are. too. Sure. But sometimes, you know, having to worry about, you know, who's shorting your shares, who's, yeah. you know, who could potentially be trying to take over your company, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, in this very public forum uh, is massively distracting to creating innovation mm -hmm. and basically growing the company the, that you're at. So, right. you know, my my thought has always been like when you're on that massive growth uh, uh, mode, right? Yeah. Um, at least uh, me and, and my, my co-founder, we want to be very focused on doing the best thing for our customers and our employees in terms of growing the company and and private markets sometimes allow you to do that interesting better than that public markets yeah. but you can't do that forever you have right. to go public at some point yeah. or you have to do something at some something point something to monetize you can, yeah, yeah you can't stay you can't stay private for too long mm -hmm. but at the same time it makes sense to stay private for as long as you can yeah but also the the other part i would say to that is you know, just because you're private, and, and me and my co-founder think about this, just because you're private, you still have to hold yourself to as much of the same standards as if you were public. Because, yep. yeah, you, know, no you have doubt. to, you have to, you have to behave like in some ways as a, sure. as a public company. Sure, yeah, so you that's, can't. That's yeah, important. I mean, I think interestingly, it could be, you know, you talk about attracting employees. Let's say, I mean, if you treat your employees like crap, it's going to get out on the street, and you're not going to be able to recruit them. And you're not going to keep them. And um, human capital is so hard to get these days, especially with a good job market. So you guys are hiring, right? Absolutely. What are you looking to hire? So we're looking to we're always looking to hire people on the technology side of things. Uh, we're we're looking to hire uh, people on sales and growing our growing our distribution. Our distribution's different than a than a traditional what financial. What kind of background product. would a salesperson have? That wanted to work for you. So it's really interesting. We we like people with. Uh, we don't really care if they have a structured note background or mm -hmm. not, but we like people who have experience in the markets in in some sort, mm -hmm. but also understanding the the retail landscape of distribution, which mm -hmm. is really you know we we distribute a lot to the RA marketplace. Right. So in in how RAs buy, what they're thinking, and we like the RA marketplace a lot yeah. because. We're selling to somebody who's got a fiduciary interest for their clients. Right. And so we actually like that as opposed to, you know, you had mentioned before, sometimes there is, um, you sell into some of these, some of these 
value chains where people, uh, the buyers are buying something more for commission yep. than for a fiduciary interest. So right. we think the world is just going to go more fiduciary. Yeah, we think the to. world is going to go. It has to because that's in the best interest of clients. And right. ultimately what's in the best interest of clients is going to be what's in the best interest of the market. Right. And that's where the world is going to go. You start, you've seen that trend already for the last maybe 10 years yep. and it's only increasing. It's going in one direction. Right. So, so we need people who understand that retail landscape, but we're also not selling something just over a phone. We need people who are good at educating people, educating the clients mm -hmm. about uh, the product, but also the platform. Yeah. So we want clients to use the platform in in buying the product. That's that's a key part. Interesting. Of so, uh, just kind of a this is maybe too inside baseball for people, but there's different tech ecosystems out there in the world. I'm a B2B fintech investor. I find most of my deal flow out of New York and Chicago. Uh, we just invested in a deal, our first one ever in Silicon Valley. Um, they're in San Francisco, actually. Can you talk about why you're based in Chicago and then the type of employees that you're recruiting? Like, which different pools did you go fish in to find your initial employees? And why the employees that you got initially came to you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a it's a great question. So when we first started the company, we had uh, we had requests by some investors to actually move because it and it was easier mm -hmm. to move then because it was just me and Jason. Yeah, right. To move to the valley, and you know, because they said it'd be easier to find capital in the valley. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, easier. It, it is definitely <laughs> easier to find capital, but it's it's expensive to find human capital. That's right. And it's sometimes a lot harder to find. The right human capital. Right. There's a lot of human capital in the valley. It's a tremendous place with a lot of innovation. Right. But it's also very expensive to operate. But then the other, the most important part, though, is when you look at the the financial markets. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a lot more expertise in Chicago. Right. Uh, with its history of all the exchanges mm -hmm. and all the the background of people who've sort of come out of that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we've looked at people who've had some of that financial market experience. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were at prop trading firms. Sometimes they were at at the different financial um, uh, uh, distributors, which right. were based in the city or the suburbs of Chicago. And we find a lot of talent that way. So uh, Chicago has been a great place mm -hmm. for us to 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 find talent. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, we've always looked for people with basically the the passion. Uh, and uh, and and basically the need to change the world in some way because mm -hmm. that's something that's hard to teach. Yeah, I can teach you all about structured notes in no right. time. Right, but I can't if you don't really have the passion. If your heart's not really into changing the world, mm -hmm. and you're not driven by that. Mm -hmm. That's a hard thing for me to teach. In fact, in Halo, when you actually walk into the office, there's actually a big poster that says "Impact Before Profit." Right, and we actually live by that. We make our decisions by that because mm -hmm. for us. You know, uh, since we talked about the fact that this is a product that a lot of people don't know about, we really want to take the benefit of this product mm -hmm. to the the retail masses, mm -hmm. and and we make a decision about what is the best thing to do to get to that level of impact uh -huh. before and uh, before we make profits. You know, before so we don't make decisions that are just revenue or profit driven. Right, we make it as to what's the best thing to do for the retail investor. Well, in a lot of cases, it turns out that that does bring you the most amount of profit. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think, I, I truly believe it will, right? Yeah, Ultimately, yeah. it will. Yeah. If you do the right thing, it yeah. will get you the the, the most in profit. Yeah. And, and it also lets you think long-term. Yeah. You know, you have to think long-term. Yeah. To think long-term, you have to think about what's best for that, for that customer. Interesting. If I wanted to apply for a job there, how do I do it? There's, I think, something on our, on our website. There's a, there's a link on our website. Haloinvesting.com. Haloinvesting.com. Yeah. And you can come to our website. tells us tells you a little bit about us, and uh, and some of the jobs are listed there. And or you can there's a email address you can you can uh, you know send your resume to. Interesting. Apply. Okay, that's cool. Before you started this, you were a venture capitalist. What did you hate about venture capital, and what did you like about it? So I was. I mean, I was a venture partner at a venture capital firm. Yeah. Uh, so what what I. And this is not firm specific. This is just I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm, ta I'm talking about ge general. Yeah, yeah, and I'm talking about the the, the world in general, yeah. right? So I think I think what's great about venture capital is you have some people who uh, can really act as managers, like basically money managers between 
pools of capital mm-hmm. and people who want to drive innovation. Right. And they've seen enough patterns of this innovation, okay, where they can start take you know, they can help you make bets on something that the world doesn't see. It's not it's not you know, it's you're in the you're in the early adopter stage of some product mm-hmm. that they see something that the world doesn't see, mm-hmm. and it helps allocate and f- allocate capital to you, but also help help you with you know, guidance, coaching, mm-hmm. uh, these different things. So I think a lot of these startup companies, a lot of the biggest successes we have today, like the Airbnbs, the Ubers, mm-hmm. and all of the world, right, would would not exist without the venture capital industry. Right. It's a it's a much needed industry. So they, you see the right things in you see all the right things in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and they really are. I see venture capitalists as the coaches yeah. for for people who are players on the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, yeah, I think the same way. You know, that's yeah, that, yeah. that, that's a job. That's really right? what it is. It, right? That's it, it's it, it is yeah. it is your role. Your role is to help uh, allocate some of that money, but your role is also to coach the player. Right who you've given that money to. Right. Right. Um, I think what I don't like about the venture capital industry is that uh, about about how skewed some of the returns are yeah. and how uh, skewed uh, alpha is in, in that industry, right? Mm-hmm. The, the bulk of the returns, say. Uh, and there's uh, no way to measure the alpha in any particular investment before you go in. There's no option tableau that you can look at. Or anything. I mean, absolutely, because yeah. the 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 cycle is just a random risk. You know, this is that's that's a, that's the difference between the trading industry and the venture capital industry, yeah. right? In the venture capital industry, you have investments uh, investment cycles that is from when you get in to when you get out, right? Of like five minimum five to maybe ten years, right? Right. And the trading industry could be a day, could, could be, be a few hours, could, could be, be a, a second, could be a second. <laughs> and you know, we, we we live in Chicago, where all these high frequency yeah. uh, trading firms are, and yeah. you know, it's 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 second, sometimes microseconds, yeah. right? Right. And so that's the that's the difference, right? Uh-huh. You you have the you have this you have a world where cycles are so long, right? Right. Uh, so you also have returns which are very you have returns which are very skewed. Yep. And Lumpy. sometimes mm-hmm. there is. Uh, the other thing I don't like about the venture capital industry is sometimes there's so much of a herd mentality. Like you know, oh yeah, yeah it's yeah, like yeah. it's like everybody reads the same. Did white you paper. see that when you were pitching Halo? Uh, I mean, I saw that all the time, right? Yeah. You know, Halo or something else, yeah. right? You get you get a lot more no's than yeses. Yeah, and sometimes they are the right no's. Sometimes right. they're they're the no's are. They're saying no for the right reasons right. because they're they're making you whatever you're pitching, right? right. They're, there are some things that you know you don't get everything right in the beginning, and, That's and right. as you pitch too. So, right. so when the, you can learn something from the nose, there are some nose that you can actually learn something from. Yeah, there are other nose that you can't learn anything yeah, from yeah, because yeah. they're just they're just saying no because they haven't seen this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And that's what. So I saw that's that. Frustrating. Right? Yeah. So that's that's it's frustrating, but that's just what the the you know. Yeah. It's part of what you have to do as a startup entrepreneur. I don't take any of that personally. Yeah. And you know, I just sort of. I just pick up and and move on. I just see, hey, is there anything I learned from yeah. what that person just told me? Yeah, uh, because uh, I could, t- I could, I could change something about my my game plan, right. my 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 business. Maybe you targeted them wrong, and maybe I targeted them wrong, yeah, yeah. and maybe I could learn something about how I should pitch. Right, right, right. So that's that's very useful. Uh, but sometimes there there's some of the rejections that you that you realize, you know what? I didn't learn. You know, yeah. I, I didn't see necessarily a good reason right. for why that person rejected me. And that's okay. That's yeah. just that's and the world isn't perfect. It's way. I mean, despite, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, diversity and stuff in venture capital now. But what I don't see in venture capital as far as diversity is it feels like to me you look at you look at venture capital firms, let's say in the valley, it's you know, I went to an Ivy League undergrad. I went to Harvard, MIT, you know, Stanford MBA, right? You don't see like the University of State MBA guy or girl at those firms. It's all very elite degrees. And you mean at the venture capital firm at itself? At the firm itself. Yeah. And um, I find that interesting because 
is a guy that went to three colleges in four years as an undergrad and then got a high-powered MBA. It's just it's just a fascinating thing because I think when you talk about diversity, there's diversity of skin color and gender and you know all that, but it's really about experience. And I don't see that among the investors in the venture capital firms. It their resumes all read alike to me. They're plain vanilla. They, they're great people, right? But plain vanilla, sort of. So, so two kinds of talent I see generally that I've mm -hmm. seen at venture capital firms. One is what you basically just described, yeah. like you know, someone with uh, sort of the pedigree, uh, right. like the, at least the educational pedigree. Sure. And generally, they are sort of people you would see at the, you know, like a strategy consulting firm, mm -hmm. right? And right. and and they also a little bit have some of that mindset. They they go very PowerPoint on mm -hmm. on everything, and yep. you know, it's uh, I see that at a VC firm. But the other class of people that I see at VC firms in general, mm -hmm. I mean, these are huge generalizations. Yeah, yeah, but, that's a mine is too. So Mine's a huge a generalization. generalization well. So there yeah. are always exceptions. To right, this, right, but, right. But what you see at a venture capital firm is you see people who are ex-entrepreneur. I mean, or they're entrepreneurs. Like they've yeah. they've been an operator of a company. Right. They've started a company. They've gone through, uh, you know, an exit or uh, they haven't gone through an exit. But at least they've started a company or they were involved in the early stage of a company. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I see both. So those are the, the folks who've been at companies. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who are necessarily the ones who are not from the, the, the Harvard, yeah. Stanford, or the traditional yeah. Yeah, places. Mark Andreessen's uh, Illinois MBA, uh, not MBA, yeah, engineering, yeah, yeah. engineering. Yeah. So, and and he's at he's got a venture capital firm because he's got you know he came through a, a startup right ranks right. So you see folks like so that you do see that mm -hmm. at, at a venture capital firm. Um, the other thing you are seeing too is, um, and there definitely needs to be a lot more, uh, you know. Gender and ethnic diversity, yeah, yeah, no at, doubt, at, at venture capital firms. for sure. But uh, but the good thing you can say, if you look at the positives, that's actually improving. It's improved. It has. It's improved over the last twenty years. Yep. The other thing that has improved of, over the last ten to twenty years in venture capital is where this capital is just is 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 distributed. Yeah. Basically, it used to be in 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 the United States, right. I would say 80% or 90% of all venture capital in the United States was either in the Bay Area yep. or in Boston. Between right. the Bay Area and Boston yep. had basically 80 or 90% of the venture yeah, capital Yeah, that's industry very true, yeah. In the United States. And now that's been distributed more. Like there are a lot more VC firms in the Midwest right. and on other parts of the country, right. which is fantastic. I mean, and we have to like look at And it's not like San Francisco and Boston are smaller. Right. It's, They're it's bigger. A, <laughs> They're bigger, but there's been a lot more capital yeah, in these yeah, other yeah. places, yeah. which is a huge positive. Yeah. So I think we, you know, we have to really recognize that. Right. And the other big positive, you know, because we look at even at Halo, uh, as I mentioned earlier, right? A big part of our business is global. So seventy mm -hmm. percent of Halo's business is from outside the United States That's, today. Yeah. Interesting, uh, and which is fantastic for us. We feel blessed to be in that position. Right. But you can say that about the venture capital business too. So about. 10 to 15 years ago, mm -hmm. okay, 80% of all VC dollars in the world mm -hmm. were in the United States, mm -hmm. which was about maybe 15 to 17% of the world's economy right. had 80% of all the VC mm -hmm. money uh, in, in the world, mm -hmm. right? And, and in the United States, that money was also concentrated in two different places. Now, the venture capital industry in Europe, in, in Africa, in the Middle yeah. East, and Southeast Asia – has grown grown considerably, yeah. which is a more, huge positive. Gotten more sophisticated. It's not as big still. I mean, we've made a couple investments in Europe, one in London, one in Ireland, and it's not it's not as sophisticated as here. And I don't mean they're dumber. It's just there's less of it. They invest for different reasons. The partners are different. They don't have a classic Silicon Valley background, sort of. Um, and not by meaning graduate degrees, I'm talking about sort of ex life experience, right? Um, so it's just different. It's different. It's getting better. It's different, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, there's more money there. And what, yeah. what that, there's more risk capital. There's more there risk capital. Yeah. And there are, and, and, you know, the capital always existed to some extent, but what was really lacking was managers. Right. Right. The, right. The real growth in VC industry comes from the growth of managers. Yeah. The partners who could actually you know, raise the capital mm -hmm. and invest. 
So the managers have, have increased in these places. Yep. And why that is very beneficial to the world, why it's a great thing for the world is because before you had entrepreneurs, you had the 22-year-old kid right. in, in West Africa right. or in some part of Europe. Yep. Okay, And if they had a great idea, they couldn't do anything about it. Nope. They were just in some other nine-to-five job and yep. they didn't do anything about it. Right. And now they've actually got more positive ways to go access, tap that capital, right. which is a great thing for the world. It's a great thing it for is. the United States and it's a great thing for the world because when those companies grow there, yep. we start seeing benefits from the innovation in the U.S. Yep. economy. And that's that's fantastic. So it's a, yeah. it's a great industry that I think is going through a lot of changes right. even today and it will keep going through changes. But those changes are just going to be very positive right. for uh, for startups and innovation. So what's the next thing for Halo? What Where do you see Halo in two years? Not 10 or 5, but 2. That's more realistic because you can sort of look down the tracks a little easier. For us, uh, the most important thing is, you know, to keep increasing our global growth. So we've got a lot of growth globally. Mm -hmm. uh, we're probably in about seven different countries right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to grow that to about 20 countries. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, even the reach in these 20 countries, we want to increase how much market share we have in all those countries. Mm -hmm. And we want to distribute better, distribute at scale. Uh, so we make these products available to a larger number of investors. Awesome. The other thing we are looking to do is also uh, looking to get this product in the hands of retail customers directly because uh, we get a lot of inbound demand from customers, mm -hmm. both in the U.S. and around the world, mm -hmm. for the product. And, uh, and you know, this is the way the world is just distributed in general. So yep. some people buy their products from a financial advisor. Others buy it directly themselves. Yep. And so we just need to make we just need to make it available in more channels. So That's I, how we're seeing if it. If I was a trader listening to this podcast, because it does go – this podcast does go around the world. It goes to Italy. You know, a lot of downloads there. How would I – so I can go to your website and say, I want to trade this stuff. I want to buy a structured note because I have a view on the market. How would I really do that, though? What's the operation for me to spend 1000 to $3,000 to take a position on your platform? So today, unfortunately, as a, just, as a, just as a trader, you yeah. can't. Right. So today we only make it available to investment advisors right. and brokers. So I have to be a, a broker. I'd have to find a broker or an RIA that was on your platform. To, to buy the product today. Okay. Right. But in some time, we are going to make it uh, uh, directly available and also easy to open accounts. Okay. Where as a trader, you could go open an account and, and buy the product yourself. And then – but I could go – let's say I'm – Let's say I wanted to do it. I would have to go to my RIA and say, hey, are you on this platform? And then how would they get on the platform? So for an RIA, they can just sign up directly on the platform. And there's AML, KYC stuff. How long does it take? It, it can take like maybe a few minutes. Oh, really? So yeah, they can, oh, that's take, quick. They can, they can, sign, <laughs> they can sign up really fast on the platform and, and, and they keep their assets wherever they keep their assets. They can yeah. keep their assets at a... So you Schwab, don't do custody Fidelity. or anything? Yeah, we don't do custody, yeah. any of that stuff. We're just really providing a platform for more better activity. Can I take a view on the crypto markets on your platform yet? So today in the United States, we don't offer any crypto-linked uh, notes. Mm -hmm. In a few places internationally, they're available. But yeah. we think in a matter of time, it will be available in the right. U.S. too. Okay. But I think the crypto market is a is actually a very interesting market. We get a lot of demand for yeah. crypto-linked uh, notes. Yeah. But unfortunately, there's a lot of unhedged risk in that market. That's there's a why. ton of unhedged <laughs> risk. People want to diversify out of their yeah. risk, you know, in, in, yeah. the, in that market. So uh, people people want the product, but uh, today we don't offer it. But I think it's only a matter of time. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the program, Bijou. Um, Haloinvesting.com, and um, I look forward to seeing you around Chicago in the cold weather here in the months to come. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Take care and trade well today, guys. Traders, thank you for listening to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe to this audio program on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, but we will still be releasing a brand new episode because that is the level of our commitment. 
So if you're traveling or you kick the family out of your place early or you live in one of the many countries that does not celebrate Thanksgiving, be sure to tune in. I'm going to have a low-key Thanksgiving myself. In the morning, I'm going to head out to my parents' place and lose the turkey bowl touch football game for a 12th straight year. Then I'm going to eat and drink until I'm uncomfortable, which I don't recommend doing often, but occasionally it's fun to pretend you're King Henry VIII. Be sure to check out our private Facebook community, read our blog, and let the spirit of the holidays warm your hard hearts. Of course, most of you don't have hard hearts, or at least I don't imagine you do. Anyway, have a wonderful weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week. Until then, namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.